feeling a little dry. A little dry this morning. Can you believe that this is Sunday number seven of Church Online? I, it, it just seems crazy that it's been seven Sundays since this thing started. Uh, you know, someone I talked to this week said that the days just seem to run together. Uh, that, and that's just one daily life part of this whole situation that can increase the level and amount of discouragement in our lives. I've seen it in messages on Facebook and in personal conversations with people. Um, going out to certain places, there is this level of impatience and frustration that, that I am sensing, and, and we need to remember that, that that is only going to add to discouragement in our life and those lives around us. Uh, impatience with the social distancing and closures as they just seem to open up a lot slower than, than we had hoped and we would choose. But we need to remember that um, those thinking, that thinking, impatience, is going to lead us down the path of discouragement. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, I, I wonder, are you feeling discouraged this morning? Well, if you are, and even if you aren't, I'm glad you're here this morning because uh, I think this is going to be an encouraging message to you. In fact, I believe that God wants to change our minds uh, about the way that we think about the things that discourage us, not just the virus and the effects of that, but, but everything. And, and as I've said before, this message isn't just for the present time. Uh, there, it applies to the entirety of our life because, well, I mean, there are going to be things as we go on through life that discourage us, attempt to discourage us, stuff in our control and stuff out of our control. I mean, discouragement can be quite debilitating, can't it? It can cause you to keep to give up trying. It can cause you to give up hoping. You can give up caring when you get discouraged. When you get discouraged, you can give up on believing certain things. And the Bible has a lot to say about discouragement. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Here are a couple examples to start off with from the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, um, it says this, and, and God had just told Moses to go give a message to the Israelites that they're going to be freed from Egypt and they're going to be given a promised land. Uh, this is what happened when Moses took that report to them. Exodus 6, 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. So is there something in your life this morning that is enslaving you, that's holding you in bondage, a certain burden or a problem? Maybe it's a chronic disease or even a habit in your life that you just can't seem to conquer or get past. The Israelites were so discouraged, it says in Exodus, that they wouldn't even listen to God. They couldn't hear him due to their discouragement. The burden was too heavy in their life, and we all know that sometimes in life, you just come to a point where you go, man, this burden is so heavy. I'm so overwhelmed. I don't even know what to think. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to care about. That is discouragement. David, King David, felt this in Psalm 42, verse 5. 
David says this at the beginning of 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I mean, he was always willing to be honest with God and and let God know how he was feeling, and we need to do the same. Uh, Well, most of the time, there were some things that David hid or attempted to hide from God, and we know that didn't go so well. But in this case, he was questioning the attitude of his own heart. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with yourself? I do this a lot, actually, um, out loud. I'll be out in the garage doing something, and I'll think to myself, I shouldn't do this. Uh, You know, try and use a non-wrench on something that needs a wrench, or I don't know, something like that, just as an example. And, And when it does exactly what I thought it would do before I attempted it without that needed thing, I say to myself out loud, what were you thinking, David? Why did you do that? That's exactly what's happening to David here in Psalm 42.5. Why? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He's questioning the attitude of his own heart. Why am I feeling this way? And then he answers his own question with an emphatic reason why he shouldn't be feeling the way that he's feeling. He shouldn't be discouraged and downcast. I will put, this is what he says, I will put my hope in God. Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That sounds to me like an intentional reminding of himself of the promises of God and uh, David's attempt to change his attitude of what's happening in in his life. So anytime we feel discouraged, we need to change our thinking. We need to change our thoughts, change our focus, change our mind. So let's look at an example from the New Testament and the life of Paul on how our thoughts can be changed so, so we aren't discouraged. Paul, of course, had many, many reasons to be discouraged. He lived a very tough life, certainly a whole lot tougher than mine anyway. So if you would, if you have your Bibles out, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, That's the passage that we're going to be in today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, But this was Paul's testimony later in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. This is what Paul says. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently because of preaching the gospel. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received lashes, you know, with, with the whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, nearly stoned to death, he says. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea, and I've been constantly on the move, and I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, and my own countrymen. I've been in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city and the country at sea, and in danger from false brothers. He says, I have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold, and I've been naked, no clothes. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches, and I think I have problems. Wow, what a list of things that Paul, I mean, again, if anybody has reason to be discouraged in their life, I think it's Paul. But even in the midst of all those things, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul gives us seven secrets for defeating discouragement. I mean, there, I don't think there was anyone else, at least in my observation, that was more content in his life than Paul, given the circumstances and the experiences that he had in his life. And we're going to see that here 
this morning. I, I, I'm praying that this is a very hopeful and helpful message for you as you uh, work through all of this discouragement that you're probably feeling. So if you received my email last night, I don't, if, if you didn't, uh, maybe send a message to the church and let us know that, that you need to add your email to, to our list. But I, uh, Roy encouraged me to uh, send notes out to everybody in advance. And uh, so if you got my email last night or early this morning, I hope that you printed out the notes. Uh, please take them out. So the first secret of defeating discouragement is this. Never forget how much God loves you. Never forget how much God loves you. Here's the first verse, 2 Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, Paul says, and we know that that therefore is there because of everything that he just said in the previous chapter. We don't have time to do that this morning. But Paul says, therefore, because of all of these other things, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose hearts. We have to keep this constantly in focus, don't we? That God loves us. It's so easy to forget. Everything in life flows out of the love and mercy of God, out of his grace and his kindness. Now, of course, we know God loves us, right? I mean, we've heard it. Uh, we, we talk about it a lot here. Maybe if, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard this statement or this message over and over and over again, that God loves you, but... The question I have this morning is, you may know that here in your head. My question is, has it gone from your head to your heart? Do you just know that God loves you or do you really truly feel it in your heart? Because when we stop feeling the love of God, we can't, we can't feel it in our heart. That's when we start to get discouraged. And so we've got to know the mercy and get to know the grace. That is why we do not become discouraged, Paul says. And we never give up. Now, in this whole chapter, three or four times, Paul uses the phrase, this is why we don't get discouraged or some other, other form of that. The whole chapter is on discouragement. Paul starts by saying, I don't get discouraged because I remember how much God loves me. I remember the mercy of God, the grace of God. I remember the kindness of God. When I'm focused on that, it drives discouragement away. He says, God in his mercy has given us. Everything that we have has been given to us as a gift of God. The breath that you are breathing right now today, a gift from God. The brain that you have and your ability to think given by God. The health that we have, the body, and everything else that we have in our life. Our life is a gift of the mercy of God. So what is mercy? Well, it's a lot of things, but mercy is when God gives me or you what we need, not what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Uh, that's mercy. You see, mercy is when God knows every mistake that I've made and will ever make in life, and yet he still created me, and he still surrendered his life to death on a cross to save me. That's mercy. God knows every sin I'll commit in my life, and yet he still loves me. That's mercy. Paul says, when I focus on the mercy and the grace and the love of God, discouragement stays away. He says, that keeps me going. I don't know why, but a lot of people who follow Jesus for a long time, you know, they've been a Christian for a long time, 
They don't feel God's love because they only think God speaks to them in a critical voice. Now, hear me on this. They, they hear their mom and their dad when God speaks. And every time God speaks to them, it's always uh, maybe negative or corrective. A pastor shared about a woman that attended his church. And he said that every Sunday out on the patio after church, this woman would come up to him and she would say, you know, pastor, God really convicted me of, and then she would describe some sin in her life. The next week, it didn't matter what he preached on, even a really encouraging message. You know, pastor, today God convicted me of, and she did this week after week. It was like the sin of the week she would share with the pastor. And finally, after six months, she came to him one day and she started again. You know, pastor, God convicted me, but he stopped her. And he said this, ma'am, does God ever say anything nice to you? Now, (laughs) that sounds kind of funny, but the truth was she didn't feel God blessing her, speaking truth. She didn't hear the promises. All she heard was how she didn't measure up, how she wasn't good enough, how uh, she was uh, evil and sinful. She didn't feel the love of God in her life, and as a result, I guarantee you, she was discouraged. We must not forget how much God loves us. Remember that one of the reasons God made you, one of the reasons God created you, was to love you, to show you love. Are you letting him do that? Are you letting God love you? Now, there are two benefits of focusing on God's love and mercy. These are just real quick. The first one is this. Uh, We don't have to prove our worth. I don't have to prove my worth when I focus on God's love and mercy. Um, We can get out of the performance cycle trap. A lot of us live there. Uh, A lot, don't we? I mean, I, I really do. We have to produce or succeed or get stuff done to have worth, but that's just simply not true. You and I have worth. We have value as a human being because we've been created in the image of God by God himself. Number two is this. I don't have to wallow in my failures. Because I know of God's mercy and grace and his love. So Paul starts with that. Never forget how much God loves you. Now in the second verse, he gives us the second key of defeating discouragement. And that is never fake it. Never fake it. What I'm talking about here is being authentic and real and genuine. You've got to be who God made you to be. Nothing is more discouraging than trying to be something you're not because you never will. You will always fall short. Have you ever heard the phrase, fake it till you make it? I've actually used that phrase and, and honestly, I think that's terrible advice. It's terrible advice, at least in regard to discouragement, okay? Uh, Because when you wear a mask, when you act, when you pose, when you pretend, that gets tiring. And you're afraid when you do that that other people might find, find out who you really are. And you're afraid that God might not love you. And all of these things. Nothing's more discouraging than to try to be something that you're not. God didn't make you to be somebody else. He made you to be you. 
When you get to heaven, God isn't going to say, why weren't you more like your sister? God isn't going to say, why weren't you more like your dad or your brother or Billy Graham? I want to encourage you today to start being who God made you to be. Stop trying to live for the pleasure or the pleasing of other people, the approval of other people. God didn't put you on earth to meet other people's approval. He put you on earth to be who you are, and when we are who God made us to be, discouragement will fade away. Paul says, don't fake it. Look at verse 2. Rather, here's where he says it, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, we're not putting on a phony mask. We're not trying to pretend we're something we're not, and we don't twist the word of God. Instead, we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we really are, being transparent. That's an antidote to discouragement, to be who we really are. Then they can know in their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight, Paul says. Paul says, I'm just trying to be myself. I'm not trying to please everybody else. I've got nothing to hide. What you see is what you get. Nothing is more discouraging than trying to please everybody, right? Why? Because even God can't do that. God can't please everybody. Do you realize this? Even God can't please everybody. Somebody's praying for it. Somebody's been praying for it to rain so their crops can grow. Someone else was praying for it not to rain just for three or four or five more days so that we could get the rest of our corn. That last seven acres of corn planted, couldn't it have held off? God can't please everybody all the time. You know, just about, time, about the time you get crowd A pleased, crowd B gets ticked off at you. And then when you finally about get crowd B happy, then crowd A's ticked. I mean, seriously, uh, I don't necessarily agree with all of the decisions that have been made, but I trust that the decisions that our governmental leaders are making are the best decisions that they can, that they can make based on the information that they have. But you don't have to watch a Governor Gordon uh, press conference for very long and read the comments to see that it's about 50-50 people that agree, people that, that don't. You, we, we can't make everybody happy all of the time. We can't be somebody else. Please, let's stop faking it. We don't have to be perfect for God to bless us, but we do need to be authentic. We do have to be real. Paul says, first, I want you to remember that God's never going to stop loving you. And then second, be who he made you to be, warts and all. So what is keeping you from being real? Is it fear? What keeps you from being honest about your weaknesses? It could be fear of rejection. Well, what's the antidote to the fear of rejection? It's point number one, focusing on God's unconditional love for you. And if we're focused on how much God loves us, if God loves me and I like me and you don't like me, that's your problem, not mine and God's. So the first two points are really important. Don't fake it. 
Instead, focus on the love of God. The third secret to defeating discouragement is to remember it's not about me. It's not about you. You recognize that statement? If you've ever participated in a project one day, you recognize that statement. Uh, A couple days ago, I wore a Project One t-shirt, and uh, Sarah and I were working on our our deck. We've, since we've been sitting on it a lot, we decided to make it a little bit bigger, and it was due for recovering anyway, and so we've been working on that, and boy, let me tell you what, uh, wearing that Project One t-shirt brought back memories of so many times we've done projects for people, but there was a difference between our project and those projects. Um, Our project was Two of us, sometimes three of us, uh, Roy pitched in, uh, my, my kids pitched in at times, but boy, I wish we had a, a crew of 12 to do that project. It, it would have just gone so much, I mean, we would be done. Uh, we, would, we would be finished, but uh, anyway, uh, remember, it's not about me. To defeat discouragement, we need to remember that because the more self-focused we are in life, the more likely we are to be met with discouragement. Every time that you forget that life is bigger than you, that you're actually not the center of the universe, that you're not God's gift to the world, you think it's all about you, um, and any time you forget that it's not about you, you're going to either get prideful or fearful or bitter. Prideful, fearful, or bitter, because God didn't make the world to revolve around you. He didn't make the world to revolve around me. Not only that, when we think everything's all about us, then we take everything personally, and we get our feelings hurt real quick. Here's the next verse, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. He says, our message is not about ourselves. It's not about us. Our message is about Jesus Christ as Lord. We are, Paul says, merely servants for Jesus' sake. A couple of important things in that verse. First, it says this, our message is not about ourselves. God wants to use us as his messengers, but the message is not about us. He wants to say something through us about him, not us, okay? God didn't put us on earth for only ourselves. Contrary to popular belief and well-focused advertising, no advertisement says think about others. No advertisement says you should think about God. Everything says think about you. It's all about you, 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 me, me, me. I mean, it's so hard to not get self-focused, isn't it? Seems like I need to repeat that phrase 20 times a day, or at least I should. Somebody gives me praise. I need to think, it's not about me. Thank you, but it's not about me. Somebody gives me a criticism. It's not about me. Somebody misjudges something that you did. It's not about you. Somebody disagrees with something you did. It's not about you. I have often had to say to myself, sometimes every hour in a particular day, it's not about me. We need to remember, I need to remember, it's not about me. When we focus on me, we will get discouraged. Now, the second part of that verse says, it's not about us, but we're merely servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says, for Jesus' sake, twice in this chapter, he says, we do what we do for Jesus. 
That's where our motivation needs to come from. Motivation and discouragement often go hand in hand, don't they? Boy, I I know mine really does. I think God is more interested in why we do what we do than what we do. Let me say that again. God is more interested in why you're doing what you're doing or even how because he cares about the motivations of your heart. We can do the right thing for the wrong reason, can't we? If you go out on a project or you set a goal, you get an ambition and you forget why, you'll get discouraged really quick. That's why we always say it's not about me when we do project one because more often than not, when you're on a project, you end up doing something that maybe you wish you weren't or you want somebody else's job, but you have to remind yourself it's not about me. And when we do that, we end the day with joy and peace in in the fact that we accomplished a job together as a community. Discouragement can come so quickly. A lot of people start off in life knowing why they want to do what they want to do. Um, Maybe it was a particular career, or maybe it was to marry a certain person. But when they forget why, they married the person or why they went into that career or they forget why they gave their life to Jesus Christ. When we forget the why, we're going to get discouraged. Satan is going to leverage that in your life, in mine. So before we go on, I want you to write this down. Write this question down in your notes. Why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? Well, well, I do it to put money in my pocket, or I do it to put food on the table. Well, that's not a good enough motivation, honestly. That will wear out pretty quickly. Uh, Please, uh, put some thought into that question this week, keeping in mind that it's not about you. Okay, number four. The fourth secret of defeating discouragement is in the next verse, and it has to do with this. We need to R-E-L-A. X. Relax. Easier said than done, I know. Uh, maybe you remember somebody else in the United States saying that. I do. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, said that one time in an interview. Somebody was being pretty critical about the team. They hadn't won a game yet that season, I don't think. And, and uh, Aaron was confident in his abilities, and so he said that. He said, you guys are worrying over nothing. I got this. Well, confidence in our abilities is not what I'm talking about here. No, we need to relax in our limitations. We need to relax in our limitations. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But you quickly get discouraged when you try to be Superman. You quickly get discouraged when you try to be Superwoman. We all need to have a realistic view of ourselves and what God has gifted us to do and to be. We can't do what's more than human po- humanly possible. We need to have a realistic view of ourselves. I need to have a realistic view of myself. The facts are, I mean, let's just say them, right? You can't fix everybody's problem. You can't do everything. Do you agree with that? Sometimes we act like we can, don't we? Anytime you don't live within the limitations of your life that are normal, 
then you're going to get discouraged. You cram too much in. Is it easier to fill your schedule than it is to fulfill your schedule? Yeah, it's, e- it's always easier to get in than it is to get out, right? Easier to make a promise than to keep a promise. Sometimes that's really true. Oh, here's one. It's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. Yeah. That's because we're not relaxing in our limitations. Now, Paul talks about literal physical limitations of your body in verse 7. He says, we need to know our limits. We need to know our warning signs when we're overextended and we need to realize that we're just the body. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, talking about the body, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says here that our bodies are like pottery. We are like clay jars. Some of us are very big jars. Some of us are little jars. Some of our jars are very ornate and very beautiful. And some of our jars are, are plain. You know what the one thing in common about all pottery is? If you drop it, it breaks. Yes. Some of you may remember a series that we did a few years ago. I think they have a picture of this series, Broken Together, Finding Authentic Community in Christ, admitting that we're broken people, Uh, being transparent with one another because we're not fooling anybody. We just need to be honest. Uh, We are all clay jars. God says our body is like clay jars and we're all a little cracked because we've all been dropped. We've all been dropped here and there. This is just being honest about who we really are. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but God often puts his greatest gifts in the weakest people. I think that's a good thing because then we know it had to be God. That's what Paul is saying here. God often puts his greatest gifts in the weakest vessel. That way his glory shines through. That truth is for all of history. God has only used flawed instruments. He's never used the perfect person except for Jesus Christ. If God only used perfect people, nothing would ever get done, right? Because there are no perfect people. When you think about it, God invaded earth through weakness, not through strength. He came to earth as a baby to a couple peasants in a barn. God has always done it that way. He's always used weak people who trust him so that his strength can go through them. That's what humility is all about. Humility is not denying your strengths. It's being honest about your weaknesses. And we are a bundle of both, aren't we? We have good strengths in our lives and we have some good weaknesses in our life. Humility is not denying our strengths. It's giving God the glory for what he did give us and relaxing with the rest. Humility, again, is being honest about your weaknesses. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Think about that. Maybe even write that down. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Paul says, just be real and be honest and accept your limitations. Number five, 
The fifth secret of defeating discouragement is use your pain to help others. I love this one. Paul says, I use my pain to help other people. Remember that list that we went through, the shipwrecks, the prisons, uh, the beatings, and all of those? In chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. There it is again. We never give up, Paul says. We're not getting discouraged. In times of trouble, God is with us, and we, we're, we're, not, we're knocked down, uh, but when we are, we'll get up again. Now, why? Why is Paul so resilient? Why is Paul so resistant to discouragement? What allows him to just get back up again every time he's knocked down? Because there's been a few times I've been knocked down that I wondered if I even should get up. Well, if you would ask Paul, why did you put up with all of that? Why did you put up with all that, the, the jailings and the beatings and going without food and going without clothes and, and being days in the ocean and all of those things that have happened? Why did you put up with all of that? His response would be verse 15, the next verse. All this, all these sufferings, Paul says, is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God for your benefit. All of these sufferings of ours are for your benefit. I keep on going. I don't get discouraged because I know it's helping others, Paul says. Even my pain, study after study after study has shown that human beings can handle an enormous amount of pain if they see a purpose in it. When you have pain and you don't see any purpose, it's unbearable. But when you can see a purpose, a good purpose, then it becomes bearable. It says here, what's the purpose? My purpose of my sufferings is for other people's benefits. Sometimes we will suffer for the benefit of other people, and at that moment we are more Christ-like than any other moment because that's exactly what Jesus did. He suffered on the cross, not for his benefit, because He hadn't done anything wrong. He suffered on the cross for you and for me, for our benefit. That's redemptive suffering, and that can happen in our life as well. Sometimes God will let us go through pain, not for our benefit. Now, sometimes we do benefit from that pain. We grow and and we learn things. But many times it can also be for the benefit of others. Paul says, I keep going. I don't get discouraged because I know it's helping people. When we experience pain, it gives us a perspective, one that can help us encourage others along as we come into contact with them as they experience the same kinds of things that we have experienced in our life. Now, it's not knowing all the right answers, but it's being able to to empathize with them, to encourage them, to hold them up to let them know that we've experienced something similar and we know it's hard and we know it's difficult for them and we're here for them. Sometimes we don't even need to say anything. Just being with them. That's not wasting our hurt. We use whatever pain it is to help others who are struggling with the same kind of pain. Don't go through it and waste it. Let's let God use it in the lives of others. Your your greatest ministry to other people will often be out of your deepest hurt. 
Now, we have to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest enough to talk about it with other people, but that pain which you have gone through or are going through in your life, man, I'm sorry that you're experiencing that and and that you're going through that pain. You need to remember that, that this isn't heaven. This is earth and everything's broken on earth, so there is suffering and pain and evil here. It's not good. We should fight it and avoid it and push it back where we can, but it's going to happen. There is suffering on the earth, so let's not waste it. Allow God to use it for good in your life. Allow God to use your pain to help others, like Paul says. The sixth secret of defeating discouragement is this. It's to take time for renewal. Over the long haul, you're going to have to figure out ways to recharge, to refresh, and to renew yourself. If you don't learn how to do those three things, you're going to get discouraged and you're going to give up and you're probably going to get sick. No matter what the project or the goal or the dream is, Paul talks about this in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is the third time he's used this phrase. This is why we never give up. He's talking about overcoming discouragement. Though outwardly, he says, we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Even though our bodies are wasting away, we are what? We are being renewed every day. We must take time each day for the renewal of our mind and our heart in addition to renewing our body and renewing our physical aspects of our life. Renew constantly. Our bodies are decaying, he says. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Have you noticed that you're not quite as sexy as you were 10 or 20 years ago? We have bifocals and baldness and bulges and wrinkles and aches and pains, and some of us have furniture problems. Our chests have dropped down into our drawers. I mean, uh, we, and, and honestly, um, all of those things that I just described are represented in this room right here, even though there's only six of us. We can't stop the aging process, but we can stay fresh inside. Notice Paul says, I renew myself daily. Well, how do we do that? Well, you spend some time with God every day. You read the word, you pray, you talk, you get spiritual, spiritually recharged. It's like hooking up the jumper cables to get your spirit recharged. We need to know what renews us emotionally, and we need to do those things. You need to know what renews you physically, and you need to do those things. Never forget how much God loves you. Never fake it. Remember, it's not about you. We need to relax in our limitations, use our pain to help others, take time for renewal, and the seventh secret of defeating discouragement, and this is a big one, stay focused on eternity. Stay focused on eternity. Paul's final secret for defeating discouragement is to not look at the here and now. He says we need to maintain an eternal perspective. We can't live for just here and now. The here and now can be pretty discouraging, can't it? Right now, especially. But when we look into heaven and we look into the future and we look at the coming rewards, and we look at all the things that God has planned for us, 
discouragement will melt away. The reality is we lose our perspective when we get tired. When we get tired, we lose our perspective. Paul says this in verses 17 and 18, the last two verses of this chapter. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Think about this. This is the guy who was shipwrecked three times, thrown in prison, beaten, gone without food, gone without clothing, all of these different things. And he says, my present troubles, honestly, are quite small. Compared to what? It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? He's going to say it's small compared to the rewards and the joys we're going to have forever and ever. He said, even if I had a chronic problem and I had the problem every day of my life, well, my life on earth is only going to be maybe 60, 70, 80, 90 years, but I'm going to spend trillions and trillions and trillions of years in heaven reaping the rewards of that short momentary time on the earth. He says, really, these troubles are quite small. Even if I had it all my life, our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. And we know that Paul had some struggle that he had his entire life. It's eternity is going to last forever. So temporary problems, joy and glory and results and rewards forever. Which one? Here's the key. We don't look at the troubles which we can see now. That's what discourages us. That's where the shadow is. That's looking at the shadow like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the valley of the shadow of death. We need to instead turn and face the light. We need to fix our lies on Jesus. Hebrews 12.2. That's exactly how Jesus endured the cross. Look at Hebrews 12.2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus that stay focused on eternity, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It wasn't the present time that Jesus was focusing on. It was the future. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He did not give up. There's that phrase again. He did not give up. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting before him and he knew what was going to happen because because he was doing what he was doing, there was joy waiting for him. He thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father on the side of God's throne. And because Jesus didn't get discouraged and quit, we too can be saved. Jesus conquered death. He rose from the dead. He was God. He was resurrected. And when we surrender our life in faith, when we believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and we surrender ourselves to him as Lord, everything we've been, in, been trying to control, surrendering that to him, he comes into our life and he begins to fill the cracks and heal the brokenness and mold us into what he wants us to be. He saves us. He gives us purpose. He loves you so much. No matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, or where you are in your life today, 
I want to challenge you to put your trust in him as your savior, as if you have not before. Believe. That's what communion is all about. That's why Jesus commanded us to celebrate communion until his return so that we could be reminded about the significance of what Jesus did so that the sacrifice Jesus made can impact us often. Now I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing one song and then I'm going to lead us in communion. So as we sing this song, if, if you would uh, gather your communion stuff, if you don't have it right there before you yet, uh, let me pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank, thank you that your, your love is unconditional. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to recognize that. Help us to not to not try to be somebody that we're not. Father, thank you. Thank you that you created each one of us to be just who you created us to be and help us to live that way. Help us to relax in our weaknesses and our limitations. Oh, help us, Lord, in the midst of this pandemic and all of the additional and maybe new frustrations that we're experiencing in life. Help us to to refocus on you and eternity and may discouragement just melt away. And now, Father, we want to sing and we want to celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.